you're standing up, go ahead and move around a little bit and try and say hello to some folks this morning. Try and meet somebody and say, glad you're here. Welcome. Maybe learn their name. It's not that easy to come by. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's cheap everything, right? And that's always the. Yeah, that's right. That's the way it is with strings, right? Don, you can go either way. You go to the dead end deal. And... All right, once you had a chance to say hello to some folks around you, we can uh, grab a seat. We'll share some announcements together, and then we will get back into worship this morning. Welcome to Vine Community Church. Welcome on this brisk. January morning. We are glad you're here and glad you are in worship with us this morning. Uh, if you are here for the very first time, we want to tell you what a privilege it is to have you in worship. We are glad that you are here. We'd love to know about that, though. In our chair uh, around you, there's going to be these little white guest cards. We'd love for you to fill it out. Uh, let us know about your presence. You can either leave it in your chair or put it in the offering box in the back of the room. We won't uh, pass a plate this morning. We just ask if you want to support our life and ministry. Uh, financially, you can do that there or through our online community called Realm. Realm's how we stay connected each week, share announcements, all kinds of things that are going on. A lot of the things that I'm going to mention this morning, a lot of stuff's happening this month. A lot of things I'm going to mention this morning are actually posted on Realm. So you can interact with them there. You can uh, make comments. You can find out all the details that maybe you missed this morning. So make sure you're signed up on Realm, and we'll get you all uh, connected. If you're not, stop by the little kids check-in desk, and you will see those two iPads, and we will get you all set up. Because we do have a lot of things going on. Uh, our men women's Bible studies have started back up again. Our women's Bible study meets up here on Monday nights, and our men's Bible study meets on Tuesday mornings at Chartel Cafe. Both of those are open to anybody that wants to come. We'd love for you to have them. Uh, the women's Bible study does have child care available, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, so those things are going on. All of our life groups have started meeting up again, so if you're looking to get plugged in outside of what happens on Sunday morning or outside of one of our 
Bible studies. Our website has all the information of our life groups and where they meet and how you can connect with them. But we'd love for you to get plugged in that way. Um, for those of you that are in part of our Bible reading uh, group, we've been challenging our entire community to get in the Word together. We've been reading from the Bible. Brandon's been posting uh, videos and outlines and all kinds of stuff. We have a Bible reading group on Realm that kind of serves as a place where we post questions and just kind of interact together. Uh, we have the new Bible reading plan cards out for the spring. So if you don't have one, make sure you grab one. If you're interested in doing that with the church and reading scripture together, stop by uh, the front desk there and you'll see a whole bunch of these Bible reading plan cards. Pick one up. They're great. Uh, it's pretty simple. The idea is just to read, reflect, and respond. And it gives you the text that we're reading that day. Um, or that week, what you're supposed to read, and it gives you some thoughts and ideas. So make sure you pick one of those up. It's a great way, hey, we're in the new year. Get back in my word. I'm going to start reading Bible and get involved with the word of God uh, with the community. And so we'd love for you to do that. So that's out front as, um, as well. Uh, those of you that were here last week know that we started a meal train for the throwers. They have got a new infant in their midst, and uh, they've got a foster baby, and they fill his home with that, like, week-old baby. And so there are still some spots on that meal train, so jump on Realm, find that meal train link, and let's get them all covered and taken care of. A um, couple of big things that are coming up that we want to make you aware of. One, on the 30th of this month, we're uh, having our chili cook-off again. That's just an opportunity for us to come up on a Sunday night at 530 on the 30th of January and just have a great night of fellowship together as a church. Uh, we have stuff and activities for the kids. You'll bring your chili from home and then we have this big contest. And for some reason, Brandon won. No one really knows why. Uh, I think it was a flaw in the system. But um, we all want to beat him. And so uh, you can bring, and the, the idea of chili is super loose. So if you want to bring breakfast chili, which is cereal, that's fine. Like whatever you want to do. But bring it up here. We're going to have a great night. We'll share all that together. Kids stuff for the kids, fun activities, stuff like that. That's on the 30th. We're trying to get a gauge of how many people are going to be cooking chili and bringing it up. So on that front desk, you'll see a sign-up. On your way out today, just write your name and be like, yep, we're in. We'll be there, uh, and that'll help us out a ton. But that'll be on the 30th. And then on the 12th of February, the women of the church are having a Galentine's gift exchange. Now, I've got a lot of questions here that I'm not going to be able to answer for you because I've got plenty of them too. But I was specifically texting a message from Tracy Thomas, who is at home with the covid and so I'm making the announcement where she should. But on the 12th at 1030, uh, they're having a Women of the Church Galentine's gift exchange where you're supposed to bring four unwrapped gifts. Now, I was told they're supposed to be the same, right? Okay, so the and I'm looking, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking over here. Four unwrapped same gifts or similar gifts. And there's some type of exchange. Now, I have no idea how it's going to work, but it's going to be super fun. They got all kinds of stuff planned. And so... We would love for you to be a part of that. Um, there's a bunch of information on Realm, so go check that out. But mark your calendars for the 12th uh, of February at 1030. Um, and we'll be talking a lot more about that in the upcoming weeks. We want that put that down on your calendar. So we have a lot of things going on. We're excited about what's happening this spring. We think it's a great time to be part of this community and this church. God is doing great, wonderful, and big things, and we're really excited about it. This morning, actually, we're going to begin Hebrews next week. But this morning, we're going to continue where we left off last week. And last week we talked about Philippians 3 and the idea of transformation and what it would look like as we step into the new year if we just thought bigger. If we decided that we were going to open our entire lives up to the move of the Holy Spirit. Instead of saying, God, I want to make incremental, small, subtle changes in my life. I want you to totally 
transform my heart. We're going to continue that train of thought and talk about what it might look like for us to be fully aware and fight against the idea of worldliness as we pursue transformation of the heart. So as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord, let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we will jump back into worship this morning and then open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this brisk Sunday morning. We thank you for the privilege of what it means to gather together as community. We thank you, Lord, that you have gifted us the opportunity to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that each person that is in this room um, is known by you, is loved by you, Lord. And we thank you, God, that we can gather together corporately and worship you. Lord, pray for the believers in the city, in our state, in the country, and around the world. God, we pray that you would knit us together as family, those that love Christ, brought together by the common desire to see Christ glorified. Lord, we ask you to move in our hearts and draw us into worship and teach us through your word. Take a moment as you sit here this morning, just in your own heart, in the stillness of kind of this space before we sing and before we open the word, and just ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him. Whatever you might need to do, whatever you need to cut loose of, or just ask the Lord to remove or forgive you for, or just the distraction that might be kind of raging through your heart and mind a little bit, just ask the Lord to remove it. Ask him to prepare you to worship him this morning. Ask him to settle and rest your heart so that you might sit in his presence, the King of Kings. Ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him, Lord. Lord, you are more than worthy of our praise. You are the object of our affection. Lord, you're the desire of our hearts. You are the one that brings true and unwielding joy. You are the reason that we rise in the morning, the reason that we learn how to love, learn how to sing, Lord, how to dance, learn how to worship. Lord, you are the center of all that we are. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in this place this morning as we worship you, as we open your word, that you would teach and instruct our heart and convict and encourage us. But the more than anything, Lord, that we would worship the risen King, that Jesus, the resurrection of life, would be the object of our affection. Lord, that you would be glorified in this place. We ask that this morning, in the name of our King and our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's stand together and continue in worship this morning. As we continue worship, this uh, next song was written from uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, found in the book of Matthew. And as we read it together, I want us to take note of the categories that are in this prayer. Um, that it's not just a prayer that we repeat uh, by rote, verbatim, necessarily every day because Jesus said to pray this way, but it's actually a group of categories. Um, it's glorifying God. It's asking God for provision. It's asking for forgiveness and that he would empower us to forgive those that have sinned against us. There's a desire for holiness when it says to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, so as we read this together, let's take note of those things. Um, if we're just asking God for stuff, for our daily bread, but we're not asking him to forgive our sins, then we're not praying as the Lord directed us. And so let's, let's take note of these categories. Let's, let's let them get into our hearts, all of them, that we may glorify him. Let's read this together as a family this morning. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who in heaven reigns How great and mighty is your name Your kingdom come, your will be done Now here on earth as is above Oh, give to us our daily bread And keep our hungry spirits fed May all our satisfaction be In you whose grace has set us free We lift you high above all names Your kingdom will forever reign To you the glory and the power all our trespasses as we forgive when sinned against though evil seeks to hide your face we fix our eyes on
mercy endures, your mercy endures. Oh, your mercy endures, your mercy endures. Your mercy endures, your mercy endures. And this is who we come before to confess, Lord, I come, I confess, bowing find my rest and without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you I need you every hour I need If you have elementary age kids, we'd love to be a part of our Vine Kids time. They can go right out this side door. 
following these amazing youngsters. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, it looks like we tripled during announcements, so good to see everybody. We're glad you made it. We got some fun announcements and things going on. We'd love for you to be a part of them. I'm going to recap two of them for those of you that might not have been here when we made those announcements. The first is that on the 30th of January, we're having a chili cook-off. We do a community event every month, and that's going to be ours in January. We did it a couple of years ago, but had to cancel last year because of COVID. Um, everybody's trying to beat Brandon. That's the goal, so bring your best. Uh, he just took Wolf Brand and poured it in the crock pot and called it his own. But nonetheless, we're going to beat him. So that'll be on the 30th. But sign up so we know all who all is coming and if you're going to bring chili. And then also, Tracy Thomas will make this announcement much better next week. But uh, the 12th of February is our first ever Galentine's gift exchange for the girls. So you're bringing four gifts. You're going to come. You're going to exchange gifts. It's going to be great. And that's the most I know. So she's going to make a better announcement. We want you to put on your calendars so it doesn't surprise you. Yes, ma'am. Total of $20, $5 limit per four gifts. You've got to have a degree to figure this thing out. Homemade gifts are encouraged. I left that out. See, this is why I shouldn't make announcements. Homemade gifts are encouraged. So sock puppets, things like that are like, no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but they, that, all that stuff's on Realm, so go visit there. I'm really terrible at understanding this thing. I didn't get it for the same gift. She's like, you're going to shop? I'm like, I don't really do that either. So anyway, um, that's going to happen, and so it'll be great, and they're excited about it. There'll be child care and all kinds of stuff, and so we want to make sure that you're a part of that. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. So uh, once a month, after the week after we celebrate communion, we take a few minutes just to gather as a church and share some prayer requests together. We share some highs and lows, things that we're dealing with, struggling with, or just things we're asking the Lord uh, for his favor on. And so we take a moment to make sure we're connected close as a community, share those things, pray over them together, and uh, just offer our heart up to the Lord kind of as a, as a community. It's a way of staying connected, a way of remembering that we are called to pray for one another, to be in each other's lives, to be for each other. It's also a way to be transparent as we go before the Lord together and just say, God, we don't have all of this under control, and we desperately need you. And so uh, we take these moments and we take them seriously. It's an opportunity for us to really celebrate and pray and seek the Lord together. And so the way it works, if you haven't been here with us, is we just, if you've got something you'd like us to pray for, you kind of just holler it out or raise your hand and I'll jot them down. Then I'll pray over them all together. And we kind of pray over them alongside each other as I lift them up for the Lord to the Lord. But uh, we'll just take a few moments. We'll offer some of those things up and then we will open up God's word this morning and continue in our journey, a little bit of a two-week journey in the book of Philippians uh, as we talk about transformation this morning again. But what kind of things do we have going on in the life of the church that we can be praying for, that we can celebrate? Shane? Yeah, I've got kind of a crazy story that I need to explain. My dad's still in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. We've been praying for Shane's dad on and off for quite some time, and so uh, he's had a little bit of a struggle the past few weeks, but it's doing better. Uh, still in the hospital, but is exceeding some expectations. So Shane, we'll be continue to pray alongside you all for your dad. Thank you for sharing that. What else can we pray for and lift up this morning? Yes, ma'am, Ms. Pam. Okay, so Pam's brother-in-law, Tim, uh, is battling some illness. They're trying to figure out exactly what it is, and so we'll be praying that something that is curable, fixable, healable, that the Lord will do something great there. So thank you, Pam, 
Yes, ma'am, gay. Sure, yeah. I'm not sure what COVID, what is that? I haven't heard of that. Is that new? Yeah. Right. It is. You're, you're exactly right. So uh, the Greenos have got lots of family members that are dealing with COVID, as I think a lot of folks do, but we'll continue to pray for God's protection, healing, and restoration, especially on our, our, those that we love, but also just on our world. Um, it, is, it is very active, that is for sure. What else can we lift up and pray for this morning? Other things to go before the Lord. Maddie? Absolutely. Yeah, you all may remember we've been praying for um, Maddie's dad as he's kind of battled throat cancer. It sounds like we've made some great steps forward, but a long way to go. And so we'll be praying that God will bring peace and take some of that pain and just continue this process of healing and, and restoration. Thank you. We will lift that up for sure. What else can we pray for and lift up together this morning? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, do you know his name off the top of your head? Ron. No, you're good. Um, we'll be praying for Ron. Uh, Ron's gone through a pretty traumatic situation there, had his leg amputated, and has got this recovery process ahead of him. So we'll be praying. Thank you so much for that. Ruth? Uh, Ruth's niece, uh, Lisa, is being tested uh, to see if she is dealing with battling and has leukemia. And so we'll be praying that that will be negative, And we will be praying uh, that if so, God will continue to show his great mercy and healing. What else can we lift up this morning and pray for? Daniel? Right, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's a real challenge, and that we do have a lot of folks in our community that are part of that, that uh, class of people that would fall into educators and administrators, and they've got not only difficult decisions, but just the challenge of educating and dealing with illness in their own homes and things, for sure. Thank you, Daniel. Schools as well, parents, yeah. And we're good. We're good on our end. We're perfect at our house. I don't know if you guys Y'all should probably follow us. We're doing great. Um, what else can we pray for? Anything else we can lift up? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And that's your sister? Yes. Emily. Emily. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad. That's a, a great thing. The Lord showing his peace and after those things that we lifted up and prayed for, and that he's beginning to move in her heart, work in her heart, exciting things. Anything else we can lift up or pray for? 
We'll take a few moments and we'll pray over these things together. One of the great and amazing qualities and characteristics of who God is is that we do this each week or each month is just a reminder that he doesn't need me to be the, the prayer. He hears the collective heartbeat of his people. He knows what you need before you ever ask as you whisper in your heart or in your mind. He hears collectively our heart. Um, the Bible tells us very specifically, even when we pray, that the Spirit will intercede for us. Um, and the Lord knows what we long for, and we trust him. And so we will collectively, as a community, pray over these things, knowing full well that God is God. So I encourage you to pray along. Lift up things maybe you didn't want to mention out loud, things that are triggering or struggling in your family or are part of your heart or you're wrestling with, and the Lord will hear those things as well. But let's take a few moments, and let's go before the Lord, and then we will open up his word together. Lord, we come before you, uh, very imperfect people. A group of people that do not have it all together, have not figured it out, and do not know how to do much. We are a group of people that need you desperately. They cannot do this on our own. Lord, we are a group of people that need to rely on you completely. This world is hard. It's difficult. Just the daily things we face are hard. Marriage is hard. Raising children is hard. Work is hard. Financially, things are tough. Life's just tough. It's beautiful, but it's tough. You add some of the things we deal with on top of that, tragedy and loss and struggle and sickness and pain and death and mourning and all these things, and it makes times in our life really, really pressing. And so, Lord, we're not meant to carry these burdens on our own. You've given us this community of believers to shoulder this load with, and you've given us your son, who you promise will carry our yoke, whose burden is easy and light and who we can call upon, giving us full access to holy, majestic, mighty God. And so, Lord, that's what we do this morning. We call upon you and all of your holiness and all of your knowledge and wisdom and greatness, knowing full well that you are in control of the things that we don't understand nor that we know. We call upon your healing. We call upon your restoration, your forgiveness, and your grace. Knowing full well that if things don't work out as we desire, you are still fully God. Nothing will change that. And so we rest upon that. And so, Lord, with that in mind, we come before you this morning with these prayer requests. Amongst the countless others that weren't mentioned this morning, that plague our heart, that sit on our soul, Lord, that we long to lift up. Lord, pray alongside Shane and Erica is lifting up Shane's dad, Lord, asking for your beautiful hand of healing there that you would continue to, Lord, build that relationship and heal him and restore him to health, Lord. Lord, we continue to pray for Pam's brother-in-law as he battles illness. We pray against the diagnosis of cancer, Lord. But more than anything, we pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for direction for the doctors so they may know what is going on and be able to diagnose that so that he can get the treatment that he needs. Lord, as Gay mentioned, we pray for all of these families that are struggling with COVID, their families specifically, but all of the others that we know about that are continuing to battle this disease, Lord, that have, as Daniel mentioned, our educators out, our administrators out, our students out, parents not knowing what to do, trying to teach from home or navigate online classes or just, it's hard. We thought we were through all this, but we're not. But that's all right. You are still God. We still trust you. We ask you to give us incredible grace for one another. Incredible grace for our teachers, incredible grace for parents and other people that may not think like we think 
or that may not react the way I react, that may think differently on this thing or on that thing or on a mask or on a vaccine, Lord, that we would be a gracious people to one another, that we would act first in love and kindness and not off our soapbox, that the church would be an expression of grace and love. And so, Lord, we pray deeply for those things. We pray alongside Maddie as we continue to pray for her dad's recovery, God. We pray for your healing and beautiful hand on him. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to just rid that cancer from his life, from his throat, Lord, that you would give him great victory and peace. We pray for Ron as he battles this new way of life, having lost part of his leg, Lord. We pray that you would heal him and that you would raise his heart and his spirit well. Lord, that you would just continue to show him that you are mighty and powerful and that, Lord, he would see you even in the difficult. We pray for Lisa as she wrestles with finding out whether or not she's got a leukemia diagnosis, Lord. We pray that you would, we pray, first of all, that would just be negative. We just pray that. We believe that. Ask that it would happen, Lord, but we trust you in the midst of whatever unfolds. And, Lord, we just pray victory there. Lord, we pray alongside Emily. We pray for her heart as she does slowly open that to you, Lord. We pray for victory with the Kamaras and just the beautiful peacefulness that you gave them as a gift this Christmas. But more so that that would continue. That you would continue to show peace in their family and that the gospel would be transparent and open and penetrating and that, Lord, that she might know you and come to know you and that you might bring great, beautiful gospel peace to their family. Lord, there are hundreds upon hundreds of other things that we have going on in our lives that we would not mention, not want to mention out loud, or just didn't feel comfortable mentioning. And the beautiful thing about who you are is that you know them all. There's nothing that we can hide from you. You know every crevice of our heart, every recess of our mind. You know the things that we struggle with, the ways that we failed, the sin that we committed last night. It's all exposed before you. And yet, God, you love us anyway. You free us through Christ, and you promise to never leave us. You are faithful beyond the word. You are faithful beyond our understanding. You are fully God. And Lord, in a world that at times feels like it's moving at a rapid rate and turning things upside down and full of wonders and struggles and fears and things, Lord, you are the only constant. You are the center of all. You are the anchor of all. You are the plumb line of morality. You are God. And Lord, we trust you. When life does not go the way that we want it to go, we trust you. When life unfolds in a way that we hoped it wouldn't, we trust you. When fear seeps into our hearts, we trust you, Lord. When diagnosis seems to break the soul of our family, we trust you. Lord, you are worthy. And so, Lord, for the countless things that weren't lifted up, for the fears and anxieties and all of those things that stand before us, Lord, you are bigger than all of them. You are victorious already. You are the wonderful counselor. You are everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. You are mighty God. You are Emmanuel. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are healer. 
You are sustainer. You are provider. You are our victory. And so this morning we come before you with all of these things. And as we open your word, God, we ask that you would use that to teach our hearts, to instruct us, to empower us, to convict us, to knit us together as a family, anchored fully on the immovable word of God. Lord, you are our king. We gracefully, graciously and gratefully thank you for Jesus. For without him, we are nothing. And so, Lord, we ask that you would hear these prayers, that you would guide our hearts, and that you would settle our unrest. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I told you last week that we were on this little, well, we've been on a long break from Hebrews, but we're going to continue that little break from Hebrews. We have one chapter left, chapter 13, and it's, it's a great chapter because it's almost like our author, or really our, our preacher of, of Hebrews, has gone through this entire 12 chapter, like incredibly deep and theologically rich, powerful sermon. And he's giving it to us. Boom, 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 all these pieces. Then he gets to the end, and it's almost like he's running out of time. And as you look at 13, he just throws in a whole bunch of other things. Like, don't forget this and this and this. He talks about marriage, and he talks about all these great pieces. And so we're going to explore all of these tiny little pieces over the next five weeks, starting next week, as we wrap up that study and we watch our, our preacher, our author, kind of tuck into the crevices of this great, incredible theological book some really powerful uh, things that we need to walk away with. But before we get there, I couldn't preach last week and not follow up this week with the second part of that because it's just really naked without it. And so last week we used the idea of New Year's, uh, the new year, as an opportunity to talk about transformation. I talked a little bit about how a lot of us look at our spiritual lives like we look at New Year's resolutions, right? We want to make a small, subtle change that we hope would really affect the whole, but we really don't want to deal with the massive things that have to go with undertaking wholesale change. So in other words... I want to read a few more books, and I want that to have a positive impact on my life. I want to save a few more dollars and have that completely change my financial world. I want to make a few healthy choices, eat better, exercise more, have that have a great, powerful kind of impact on my life. But I don't want to do the massive things that I know it's going to take to really make wholesale change. And our spiritual lives are very similar, right? We want to re- read the Bible a little more. I want to show up to church a little bit more. I want to get a little bit better in my prayer time, but I don't want to really have to deal with the massive wholesale changes that I know the Lord is calling me to. And so we like to look at our spiritual lives, the way we look at the new year, and just hope that if we make a few small things, life's going to get a little bit better. But that's really never the message of Scripture, right? The message of Scripture, what we saw last week at Paul, is that we are called to these massive wholesale things like renewal and transformation. And as we talk about words like sanctification, the idea of pursuing fully, becoming more mature in Christ, like massive big things. And so I challenged us to think bigger. And we use Philippians chapter 3 and as Paul gave us some examples on what that would look like to be fully engaged this year in saying, God, I'm not content with just changing a few small things. I absolutely want you to wreck my world. I want you to transform my way of thinking and the way I live. And in order to do that, I've got to do a few things. And we talked about those. I've got to reorient my mind. I've got to change the way I put my mind into action. And I've got to be willing to let go. That last little portion is kind of what ties us into this week. That idea of letting go. 
And Paul talks about it in terms of forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, right, 14. And the idea there for him is like, in order for me to totally transform my way of thinking, my way of life, I've got to let go of those things in the past that are holding me back. I have to learn to let go and move forward because I can't move forward if I'm holding tightly to the things that are holding me hostage in the past. And so we are constantly pressing on. And that's kind of what it means to go, Lord, I want to grow in you. I want to mature in you. I want to be transformed in you. I have to be willing to press forward. And a lot of us are really afraid of that because we, think, we know that letting go of the past, letting go of those sins, letting go of those fears, those anxieties, although will be amazing, is really hard because we become super accustomed to them. They become part of our framework. And so, sadly, we've become very comfortable with living in them. But Paul says in order to really press forward and grow, we've got to be willing to cut ties and to let go. And so we talked last week about <clears throat> we've got to be willing to do a little letting go. And then we stopped. But if you really look at the rest of that chapter of Philippians 3, there's a second portion to it. It's the we've got to be willing to let go and press on, but we also have to be willing to stand fully firm. And that's what we're going to look at this week is that second part of that that says, yes, I'm going to press on, I'm going to grow, and I'm going to seek transformation, but I've also got to be willing to be very aware of what's around me and the things that the world is going to try and do to derail my transformation. Because the world, the prince of darkness, is not going to just let you waltz into transformation. He's going to do everything he can to derail your pursuit of Christ. And so Paul couples this idea of pressing on with being very aware and being very cautious of the world around us. And so we're going to look at that portion. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. We were in 7 through 14 last week. We're going to be in 15 through the 4-1 this week, the last, first verse in uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> so if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open that up, and uh, we will dive into it this morning and talk about the idea of standing firm and what that will take and what that will mean. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that it is active, that your word is an encounter, having an encounter with you is and having an encounter with your word. We deeply believe that. This, this book is just not some collection of words. It is your love letter. It is your truth. It is who you are poured out to us. It is the theopunestos, the breath of God, and therefore, Lord, we believe when we encounter it, we encounter you. And so we don't take it lightly. Lord, this is not a suggestion for our Christian life. It is a very foundation upon which we live and what we anchor our souls to. And so, Lord, when you tell us things like press on, forget what's behind, strain to what's ahead, those are not optional things for the believer. They're not suggestions. They are deep calls to truth that you're not offering us saying, hey, it would really be helpful if you pressed on or you let go of. You're saying do those things. And when you call us to do those things, Lord, as obedient children, we should be seeking those things. And so I pray this morning what we do is we'd be seeking the truth that you present us. Pushing us forward, challenging our way of thinking, encouraging and convicting us all at the same time. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something. However small it is this morning, whatever that may be, just Lord, press something on my heart. Just teach me this morning through your word. Just whisper those things.
Take a moment and pray for someone around you, behind you, in front of you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you're brand new here. We do this every week. We just want to be a church that's in in the habit of praying for other people. So don't be weirded out by it. Just think, man, who's around here that I could just pray for? Uh, Pray for that girl with the blonde hair, that guy sitting next to you, or the guy in the red sweater, just whatever. Just pray for people. Just whisper something. Pray for your spouse or your children. Pray that God would move in them. Care about the people and their spiritual growth around you. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning through your word. That we would be empowered and encouraged by you, convicted by your truth. And teach us how to walk forward, standing firm in the faith. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. So the last verse we left off with, what I just mentioned, is when Paul says, Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, if we're going to, to actually seek transformation, I've got to be willing to let go of what's holding me back and press forward. So I am going to forget what is behind and I'm going to strain towards what's ahead. The whole idea there is I'm going to press on. So as followers of Christ, we are actually called not to live in a stagnant way of life, not in a life of mediocrity, not in a life that isn't moving, not in a life that just kind of sits there. We are called for great, big movement things. We are called to constantly be in the process of growing into our relationship with Christ, which is the idea of sanctification. Sanctification is that big theological word that simply means that and over the course of my Christian life, God is making me more like Christ. I'm becoming more and more like him as I grow and mature in my relationship with Jesus. And the Christian life is a constant move. It is a constant pressing on. It is not getting hammered down and mired in the muck of life and sin and struggle. It is fighting against that all the time, letting go, forgetting what is behind, and always pushing forward. Meaning that no matter what you've done, what happened last weekend, this weekend, last year, whatever, that is not the definition of who you will always be. But you are constantly in the process of moving on. So that no longer defines me. It's not who I am. I am pressing forward. I'm letting that go because God has forgiven me. That's not my story. I am not the sum of my worst decision. But I am always moving forward. We are constantly called to press on. And then in the same breath, Paul starts a new section that's going to talk to us about standing firm. And at first glance, you're going to say, well, pressing on, standing firm, don't those things kind of Stand a little bit in opposites? Like, how do I press on and move forward if I'm standing still and standing firm? Well, they're very different things. Paul's talking about pressing on in terms of our spiritual growth, but standing firm in terms of the things that matter to us and fighting against the world around us. That we're going to have to stand our ground. So as we're moving and growing, we're going to stand our ground when the world tries to knock us off our post and remind us that we are actually found our citizenship and our hope somewhere else. So this is Philippians 15 through 4.1. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before and tell you now, even again with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So he says, as we're pressing forward, we are going to face opposition. In other words, we can't think that transformation is just going to be easy. I'm going to forgive myself for a few things. I'm going to let go of a few things. And I'm going to just easily walk into this new, great, amazing way of life. The enemy will do everything it can, and the world will do everything it can to derail your transformation. That is just the reality of the spiritual battle around you. And Paul knows that. And so he follows that idea of pressing on with this idea of you are going to have to stand firm because it's coming. Difficulty's coming. Life is full of it. And so he leads with this little trans, kind of transitional verse where he says in verse 15, look, if we're mature, we should take such a view of things. All of us should take such a view of things. And if you think differently on some point, then I pray and know that God will make that clear to you. So he's saying, as you're growing and maturing in Christ, if you're hearing my words and you're going, I don't know, Paul, I'm not so sure. Maybe that's not right. Paul says, listen, as you grow, your understanding of wisdom and depth is going to grow as well. God will make it clear to you. In other words, don't panic when you don't understand everything. Don't panic when it doesn't all make sense. Don't panic when all the little pieces of your life don't line up. Don't panic because something seems out of character, out of whack, or difficult. God is still fully in control. So what do we do? We pray and ask God to make it clear to us. So when things don't totally line up like you want them to, when the plan that you set out for your life doesn't actually perfectly connect, Paul says, pray. Ask the Lord to make it clear, and I believe that God will make it clear to you when God is doing that in you. In other words, as we mature and as we grow, God will grow your wisdom. See, the ch biggest challenge to our fully pressing on is the fact that when we begin to press on and we face obstacles, we want to quit. We decide that we're going to make all these changes. Man, life's going to get different, and I'm going to follow the Lord, and I'm going all in my trust level. And the first thing that happens is we face this giant opposition. No matter what that is, whether I'm changing work or I'm, I'm going all into my, my marriage this year, or we're changing our dynamic in terms of our family, the first thing we're going to face is opposition. We want to throw up our hands and quit and say, why? And Paul says, look, if it's not clear to you, I pray and believe that God will make it clear, so just seek him. In other words, don't quit. The enemy's going to come against you. So he has this little transition, all right? And then he says this, join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. So Paul says, the first process of standing firm when the world wants to come against you, when life gets really hard, is you've got to have something in your sights that you want to use as the example that you're chasing after. And Paul goes, use me. Live like me. He goes, follow my example and the example of those that have followed me. So Paul's not saying be like me. In other words, like have the same giftings that I have, wear the same clothes that I have, like try and be Paul. He actually just says, follow my example and the example of those that have been following and leading, following me and leading you. So in other words, live like me. What Paul's saying is it's really important as you're pressing forward into the new life that you're being called to transformation to have an ideal of what you're pursuing and use the example of those around you about how to resist and fight against the world. In other words, you can't do it on your own. You have to have an example. You have to have something to shoot for, something to draw attention to, and something to say, I want my life and faith and prayers to look like that. And so what does Paul say? Paul says, use me. I'm literally not perfect. 
I've blown it. In fact, just a few verses ago, he says, I haven't obtained all this. I haven't been made perfect. Remember that from last week? I haven't nailed all these things yet. He said, but in the process, I'm chasing Jesus. And so use me as your example. And I find this really powerful, right? Because Paul's not being arrogant in the way that he says this. He's not saying, guys, I have figured this life out. Like, follow me and it's victory. Like, if you do everything that I do, it's going to be perfect. Paul says, I haven't obtained all this. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. But he's saying, listen, in the middle of all this, I deeply believe that I'm living in such a way that you can follow or that you can see as an example. So live like me. And I find that really powerful because he doesn't come across as saying, I'm right. He comes across as saying, I'm in this like you. I'm in this like you. And it brings a couple of questions to my mind as I think about what it means to really stand firm in the Lord. And that is, do we have people in your life or in my life or in our lives that we model our life and behavior after? Whether they are our prayer life or heroes that we have watched, maybe it's your grandmother, your grandfather, your father, somebody that you've looked at and you've said, man, I want my, my life or my family to, to look like that or I long to pray like they prayed or I long to have the knowledge that they have or the wisdom that they have. Do we have people like that in our life? Because Paul is actually an example saying, follow me, and he's speaking directly to people in his generation. So he's not just talking to all of us saying the only example that we have is Paul. He actually says, follow my example, right? And take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. So in other words, it's not just me. Look around you and take note of the other people that are following Jesus with all of their heart. Like, don't be jealous of them. Follow them. Figure out why wisdom works for them. Figure out why their family is maybe doing this or that or how they seem to have it put together. Ask questions of the community. Do we have people in our life that we can say, man, I, I want to follow your example. How you've led your family well as a dad or as a husband or how you've navigated the difficulty in marriage or struggle or how you handled your faith when you lost your husband. I want to model my heart and my faith after you. That's the first question brings to my mind. Do we have people like that? The second one is, am I living my own life in such a way that people would want to look at me and say, I'll follow your example? That's a hard no. But I want it to be a yes, right? Like long for that. Because here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, transformation isn't something you just decide to do. It's not like you look and you go, you know what? This year is a year of transformation. Transformation begins with the process of the work that it's going to take to change an difficult past set of behaviors, right? I got to, first, I got to forget. I got to let go. I got to press on. How do I press on? I find a target, something that I want to model my life after, obviously Jesus. But Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Look to those around you. Find people in your life and say, I want to use you as a, of a way of thinking. I want to understand the Bible like you do. I want to read like you do. I want to pray like you do. I want to lead my family like you do. Like, don't be ashamed Use the community of God that God has put around you. And I find this really important because most of us are afraid of the community that God has given us because we measure ourselves up against it. Like we look at a family in this church and we go, man, they are perfect. They've nailed it. They dress alike. They hold hands all the time. Like the kids never fight. And I don't want them to know what I'm really like. Like I don't want anyone to come over on Wednesday at our house. It's 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 a scary thing, right? Like that's what we're thinking at times. Because so we're afraid to be transparent. 
But God has given us a beautiful community. We can access the people here, whether it's in a life group or just a family, and just say, I'd love to go to lunch. I'd love to hear your heart. How did you guys navigate this? You know, we don't have, we're trying to put kids in college, and we don't have a lot of folks we've asked a lot of questions to. Like, what does that look like? How do you let go? How do you raise a teenager to turn them loose? But there's a host of beautiful people in this church that have done just that. It's not a community to be afraid of being exposed to. It's a gift that we've been given to push us towards transformation. Know each other, right? Let your life be transparent enough that your failures are as evident as your successes. We learn from each other. We grow together. When you fail, when you have heartbreak, you'll be shocked at the people that are struggling with the same thing. Right? When you've experienced deep and true loss, you'd be amazed at how many people have navigated that deep and true loss before you. Their wealth of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul says, follow my example. Second thing he says is, <clears throat> you've got to be aware of this thing called worldliness, right? This is what he says in 17, or in 18. For <clears throat> as I have often told you, and say it now again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. So Paul says this. Use me as your example as you press towards transformation. Use the people that God has placed in your life as places that you can go to, people you can model your life after. But you've also got to be fully aware of this idea of worldliness, and it's around you, and it will kill you. And he's, the worldliness idea is really this concept of, I have found my home in and amongst this world. In other words, the things that the world desires, I desire. The, thing that, the way the world thinks, I think. The way the world talks, I talk. That I've become home and safe here. So when he says the, the worldly desires or worldliness, that's what we're referring to as believers. And the reason that's so dangerous is because it's not what we were created for. It's actually, as Paul says, not our home. This is not our home. And Paul says that worldliness is not just something that can derail you. We talk way too lightly about it in the church. He actually talks about it as something that will kill you. Worldliness is not one of those things that we can kind of get caught up in. It's a little bit of a trap and derails us for a little bit. Paul says that it literally will most kill your soul. And he says this, as I have said before and say again now, even with tears. So as Paul's saying this, he's saying literally as I write these words, I am crying because my heart is grieving so deeply. Like as I say these things, I say them again even with tears. Many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomach, right? Their glory is in their shame. And guess what their destiny is? It's destruction. And Paul is not talking about pagans. He's not writing this letter to a group of non-believers. He's writing this letter to the church that he deeply loves in Philippi, to a group of believers, and he is writing to them saying, I am broken because so many of you that claim to follow Christ, that are actually true and real believers, have had your lives derailed by worldliness. You have found your home here. You have thought the way this place thinks. You have attributed your material life to the things that happen here. You have jumped on board morally with where the world is, and you are living like this place. And I am in tears. And you know what your God is? It's not the God of the universe. It's not the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. Your God is your stomach. In other words, what you can consume. As a believer, you have become your own God. And what you consume is what you think will satisfy you. 
right? When you think about the idea of a stomach, what we put into it should nourish us. And he says, your God has become what you can put into yourself. And your glory, it's actually going to be in your shame. And I'm broken over it because your destiny is destruction. Not glory. Not eternity with Christ. But destruction. This is how dangerous worldliness is. And it's such a trap. And, it, and we literally in the evangelical Christian church are plagued with it. And it's not just material, right? A lot of times we think worldliness is, oh, I can't want a fancy car, can't have a fancy house, can't have nice clothes. That's not really what worldliness is. Worldliness is finding the, trying to find the answers to our problems in the things the world provides and thinking that somehow they will substitute for the great joy that only Christ can bring. And so we pursue them, and when we find them, they are what? They are empty. It is full pursuit of a lesser joy. Because we think the answers lie there. If you think I'm kidding, go to any Christian bookstore. Not that we do that anymore, most of us shop online. But if you want to go to one, go to Mardell's and look at the top ten titles. And I guarantee you five of them have something to do with using God to live your best life. How to have your best life here while fully following the Lord. The problem with that is that it's so not unbiblical, it's almost funny. There's never the call of the follower of Christ to use God as our avenue to live our best life. Now, God wants us to experience joy, absolutely. But our joy is found in his glory and in obedience, not in what we gratify and fill ourselves with. Not how we can make every day like a Friday. Not how we can pursue happiness in this life while still hanging on to the threads of Christianity. The true follower of Christ dies to their self, rids themselves of everything that says it's about me and says, Jesus, whatever you want, and we exchange a lesser joy for a greater joy. As long as we pursue our best life here, we will always feel empty and always feel unsatisfied. And Paul says, I weep over you. Right? And that's the case because we think that whatever that next thing is will bring that next piece of joy. Right? Social media is great. This tells us that. If I just had this or that, then things would be good. If I could just earn a, another couple thousand dollars on the side, everything would kind of work out. Here's the next 80 videos on how to invest in this to make that happen. Or here are the pictures of, pictures of all of my friends doing all the things I wish I could do. If I could just get there pursuing the things of the world. And at first it's not like, I want Lamborghinis and I want mansions. It's just, I want to find rest for my soul in some place other than Christ. And the reality is, Paul says, it will kill you. It will kill you spiritually. And he's not saying like, beware, like, be aware, like it's out there. He's saying like, beware, you will die. And so if we're going to pursue transformation... It can't be at the cost of going, I'm going to find my own way there. Transformation actually comes with death to self. So transformation doesn't, become, doesn't happen when we decide we're going to set an action plan in place with the next three steps that we're going to do to get to the life that we want. Transformation begins when we say, God, how do I follow you? I'm going to use the example of other people and I'm going to die to myself. And I'm going to seek only you. And I'm not going to let this world try and substitute a lesser joy for me. If you are still seeking answers for your unrest 
and your unhappiness and things in this world and hoping that one relationship gets restored or hoping this one thing happens, you will forever be empty. As followers of Christ, we can only be fulfilled fully by Jesus. That's it. So Paul says, beware, right? Worldliness kills. Fight against it. There's a thousand places in Scripture that's echoed, right? Don't store up yourselves treasure on earth. We can go. There's a billion of them. Paul says this, the next thing. He says, not only is worldliness kills, but you have got to remember that this place is not your home, right? Verse 20, but our citizenship as followers of Christ, right? We're fighting against this idea of worldliness. Our citizenship is not here. It is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will become like his glorious body. There's a whole bunch of stuff there eschatologically that just kind of, that kind of means we can talk about the end times and Christ coming back and the resurrection of the body, but that's amazing. But really what I want you just to focus on is that first verse that just says, our citizenship is not here. Your home is not here. Your place of welcoming, your place of rest, your place of security is not here. That's what citizenship means. Citizenship means this is the place that I belong. I'm a citizen here. I am due all the rights and privileges that this place provides me because I am a citizen. And Paul says, you're not a citizen here. Your home is actually somewhere else. And you have all the rights and privileges of that glorious place. Why are you exchanging it for this garbage hole? Like this place is a dump compared to the glory that waits you. Why are you fighting so hard to be at home here? And again, it doesn't mean like we can't find a great and beautiful and amazing life and have this incredible thing. It just means this place will not satisfy our souls. So quit trying to cram it into all the broken places in your heart, hoping that it mends it together. It will never work. Why? Because this is not our home. Our citizenship actually is somewhere else. So when you feel like an outsider here, because you look around you and the morality of the world is collapsing, guess what? You are an outsider. That's why it feels that way. Because the world around us is crumbling, and it's not our home. We don't point and laugh, but we fight with the energy of the Lord to rectify things here until he takes us home. But that's why no matter what happens politically or whoever gets elected president or whatever happens with Congress, never derails the throne of God. And that our promise and our great security lies not in earthly people and figures, but in the King Eternal. Our citizenship is not here. Doesn't mean we ignore it. Doesn't mean we pretend it doesn't exist. But what it means is that I am not going to find my worth here. So you know what? Bring it on. Throw it at me. I don't care. David talks a lot about this always. He says, look, I fully trust in the Lord. What can man do to me? Like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't fear things here. I am safe and secure in the Lord. So whatever, bring it. I know I'm safe. My citizenship is somewhere where there is no raging wars and arguments about morality and politics and tears and brokenness and mourning and death. My citizenship doesn't have any of those things. The promise I have in a coming kingdom is a place where there will be no more tears and no more brokenness and no more hurting. There will be the only binding up and the healing and the whole and the glorious presence of the risen king. 
Transformation is not about what we do to get somewhere else. Transformation is actually about understanding that we've got to let go and press on into an example that Christ has set. Rejecting the pressure of the world around us to conform to its likeness and its being. To try and keep up with our neighbors or the world around us or what's happening on social media or what other people say and think. It's rejecting and pushing against all that to say, Christ, I only want what you want. You're my only audience. You're the only one I play to. And what you say matters because I am not home here. And so if people want to say what they want to say, do what they want to do, let them. This place is not my home. And that's really important, right? Because most of us find our self-worth derived from something that transpires here. Whether it's our work, who we're married to, the words that people say, the affirmations that we get, most of our self-worth is actually tied to something that transpires in this world. And that is a huge danger. Your identity is not in what somebody else says, what they tell you, what you look like, what they tell you you should look like, what you do, what your job is, who you are, what you're worth, what your bottom line is, what job you used to have, who you were married to, are married to. Your definition of life is not anchored in anything that the world says. It is anchored in this total true reality that God calls you his, that you are his beloved and that he made you and that you are worth it. Outside of that, it doesn't matter. So if you're fighting Right For the words of encouragement to fill your avoided self-esteem from the world, you will forever be empty. If you are fighting to find your self-worth in some kind of financial plan and some kind of work life, if you are looking for your identity to be as you finish school and go into being a physician or an accountant or whatever, you will be empty. It will never satisfy your soul. Your home is not here. So we can't find affirmation from the world that we don't belong to. The only affirmation that you and I need as followers of Christ is from Christ himself. And he's already given it to you. He's fully given it to you on the cross. Paul wraps everything up with this one little thought in verse four, or chapter one, verse four. And, and the way that these verses line out, remember, ne- when they wrote these letters, there were no numbers. They got all added later. But this is what Paul says as he wraps that up in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. So he says, listen, church who I love, I mean who I love and I long for, like I want to see again and I love, you are my joy and my crown, meaning that Paul's heartbeat is for the people that he has led and seen come to know Christ. This that I just showed you is how you stand firm. I love you. I love you. Stand firm. Live like me or the example those have set and gone before you. Don't do away with the wisdom around you. Beware of worldliness. It will kill you. Your citizenship is not here. You want to stand firm in the Lord? Press forward, but do these things. So as we look to transformation in 2022 and talk about the way we want our lives to be drastically changed, right? Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. We have to be willing to come to a place where we say these things out fully, fully out loud. Like I will follow the example of Christ, the example of Paul and those that have gone before me. I can't make this up on my own. I need people. Like it or not, you need people in your life. 
that will walk with you, that have walked before you, that will encourage you, that will support you and guide you. Paul says, follow their example. Open your life, be transparent enough for them to know you and for you to know them. Fight against worldliness at all costs. It's going to come from the most unlikely places. Usually it comes from within the church. It's not always pressed in from the outside. Oftentimes it's pressed in from the inside. Fight against it. It's a lie and it will kill you. Your God is your stomach. Your destiny will be destruction. Quit making yourself the place that you try and shove all the things you think will satisfy you. You will only end up empty. And remember, amongst all of that, this world's not your home. And there's a two great principles there. One is for you and one that is for those that you have loved that have gone before you. The first one for you is like, this is not your home. You don't have to find your self here. Your citizenship is somewhere else. But the second great word there is this. Those that we have loved and we have cared for, that have followed Christ and have died, they are at home and they are at rest and they are in great joy. And they are waiting. And there is a great promise of reunification that comes in following Christ. And that we can take great rest in the idea that they are finally home. That's a great word. And this is what Paul says. I love you so much. I want you to know this. Stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to open your word this morning to challenge our way of thinking and just revitalize our heartbeat and not become so stagnant and just saying, I'm okay with wherever my Christian life is now. No, I want to see it different. I want to be transformed. I want to renew my mind. I want to forget the garbage behind me and press on to what's ahead. But Lord, I know that's not going to be easy. I know there are great things ahead, but I know those things are difficult. And I know, Lord, that I'm going to have to anchor my soul to you. I want to follow the example of those that have gone before me, of my father, of my mother, my grandmother, Paul, Peter, these, these people that the Lord has put great women and men of faith. And even those in the church, other couples, other families, other individuals, I want to get involved in a life group, not just so I can have a Bible study to go to, but so I can expose my life to people that I might use the example of others to grow and mature. I want to fight against worldliness at all costs. I'm tired of the world dictating my identity, telling me what I need and what I have and what I need to be secure. And the reason for that is because my citizenship isn't here. My home isn't here. I'll never be at peace here. And that's okay. I can have a beautiful life. I can love every part of who I am and who I am here. But Lord, I can be very much at home in heaven. So Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would press those things on our heart. And that you would be glorified and you would push us towards transformation that only you can bring as we stand firm in the faith. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said to you for refuge to Jesus
my dismay for I am thy God and will still give thee aid I'll strengthen thee help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand my soul on Jesus I lean for repose I will not will not desert to his foes my soul
Amen. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would walk out of this place, empowered to pursue transformation by forgetting what is behind, pressing on towards what is ahead, setting our hearts and lives to the example of others, fighting against worldliness at all costs, remembering that our citizenship is not here. I love you. Go in peace.